Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. It happened a year ago last week. No one ever thought it would happen. It was completely an accident. But some work was being done on the 850-year-old Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, France. And while work was being done, a spark, a stray spark, turned into flame, and the unthinkable happened. A fire broke out on the roof of the Cathedral of Notre Dame, and it began to grow and grow And over the next several hours, the roof was ablaze. And eventually, the spire, the iconic spire of the Cathedral of Notre Dame came crashing down. No one ever thought that this could happen. No one ever dreamed that they would see something so horrific. But after 400 firefighters fought this thing for 30 hours, eventually the fire was extinguished. They fought through the night. It was incredibly difficult, but eventually the fire was put out. Now, the fire was out, but the damage was done. And so, we're looking at this cathedral that had survived war and famine and all kinds of wear and tear for 850 years. And all, all of this, it took 100 years to build and had been standing for 850 years, and now after one terrible day, it lay in a smoldering heap. I mean, it happened so fast, and no one ever dreamed that it could happen, but it did. You know, as, as we are studying Galatians, I think we see something almost like a beautiful cathedral. God paints this incredible picture of what He has done for us, It paints this beautiful picture of what happens when God makes slaves into sons and when God sets sets captive people free and when God takes broken people and makes them whole. We see that Jesus bore our sin and fulfilled the law that we might be forgiven and free. And then on top of that, he empowers us to walk in power and enjoy as we increasingly become more and more like him day by day. It's beautiful to see. It is magnificent in every way. And it's amazing news for us who know that we're being transformed. But many of you who are listening right now have been walking with Jesus long enough to know that even though God has given us everything we need to obey, we still sometimes choose to sin. And this is a difficult thing, but here's the honest truth that spirit-empowered, gospel-believing, Jesus-loving Christians are still capable of sin. And you know how I know that? (laughs) Because I sin. That doesn't make me happy. It breaks my heart. I grieve that, and I'm praying that God continues His work on me, but I know that I'm not finished yet. I, I have faith in Christ, and He is working in me, and I don't want to sin but I still am working through things. And God is continually and progressively transforming me and shaping me into the image of Jesus. He's just not finished with me yet. 
And he's promised to complete that work and one day will give me a new glorified body when I see him face to face. But what do we do? What do we do when we do sin? Uh, what do we do when we blow it? How are we to respond when there's a failure? What do we do when another brother or sister is caught in sin? How do we respond when we see a brother or sister's life lay in smoldering heap? Well, the first verses in Galatians chapter 6 help us figure out what to do when we blow it. And it helps us figure out what to do when one of our brothers or sisters blows it. And we see this truth that, that sin destroys. It always results in terrible outcomes. It breaks things. It hurts people. And it always yields a harvest of pain and brokenness. But our God restores. That's what the gospel is all about. And so we as a church are called to gospel restoration. We are called to gospel restoration. This is so important for us. And I pray that this morning you will open your heart to hear from the Lord through this passage because it is so crucial that we get this. So far in Galatians, we've seen what the gospel means for us as individuals, how that sets us free and gives us the opportunity to walk in grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. But here we see how the gospel is applied and what that means for a growing community of believers that's progressively being transformed into the likeness of Jesus together. Because how we handle or choose not to handle sin amongst the family of God is something that God cares deeply about. He takes it very seriously. So look with me in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're going to handle just the first few verses in this. There's plenty enough, so read along with me. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too become tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So how do we handle these situations? We all seem to handle it in a little bit different ways. Our reaction usually end up falling somewhere on this spectrum. And I think it's fun to, to kind of ponder where do you fall in this? I mean, you could probably tell a story about some situation where you were on one end of this uh, or the other. This continuum of avoidance to aggression. And somewhere in the middle is agape, this this sacrificial love that God calls us to for one another. Now, some of us, this is how this works out. Some of us have this strong compulsion uh, to confront sin as soon as we see it. And some do it in humility and out of love and concern, and it's a beautiful thing. Others actually enjoy it for all the wrong reasons. Uh, You probably all experienced that at some point. But then there's the other end where others tend to ignore sin and pretend there isn't any sin at all. And Uh, Sometimes it's the right call uh, to let some things pass, some very small things. But oftentimes those who fall on the avoidance end of this miss the chance to help altogether. And some churches uh, don't have patience for restoration at any level and just shoot their wounded. And that is a terrible thing. Obviously, some churches go to the other extreme and pretend that no one's ever sinned at all. And 
There is a right time to overlook an offense, and there is a right time to confront. And here's the thing. Jesus came that we might experience abundant life. And if Jesus died so that we can have abundant life, surely we should be pursuing that together in the power of the Holy Spirit. John 10.10 is where he says this. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what sin does. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God is calling us to abundant living. So wherever you fall on this scale, hopefully today we can work our way towards this sacrificial love, this agape love that we are to have for one another. So I'm going to give you five things that I think really help us figure out how do we apply this in our life. And so the first one is uh, this truth that we are called together to gospel restoration. We are called to gospel restoration. And when someone is caught in sin, this might be helpful, we are not called to self-righteous gossip. <laughs> That's the, it's an easy thing that to fall into, but we are not called to that. We are not called to shame them in order to hurt them. We're definitely not called to shoot our wounded. Uh, we're not called to, on the other end, pretend that everything is okay. And we're certainly not called to seek revenge when we're the one that was offended. But we're called to gospel restoration. This is important because our ultimate goal when we encounter a brother or sister who's been caught in sin is not to destroy them, but to restore them. This is really important that we understand the heart behind this is restoration and not destruction. We're called to lead them back into a place of spiritual health and fellowship with God and his people. Let me say that again. That's what needs to be restored. This place of spiritual health and fellowship with God and his people. Let me make sure I'm clear about this. We do not have to restore their salvation. When God saves a person, they are saved. If a person is born again, they are born again. Okay, We're talking about restoring them to spiritual health and vibrant fellowship with God and his people. This is the abundant life that, that Jesus wants for us. So this is theological term. Positionally, this is what's true about you, that in Christ, that's your position, in Christ you are forgiven and free and loved by God, even when you sin. It's true. But if you sin and don't deal with it, you're sure not going to experience that kind of joy and freedom from sin. You're not going to experience joy and fellowship with God and with other believers, certainly not to the extent that Jesus desires for you if you continue in sin and don't deal with it. And so this is what needs to be restored, this, this fellowship, this freedom, the health, the vibrance of our faith. And so what we're doing is we're helping people come to a place where all their offenses have been dealt with so that they don't have to hide from other believers or avoid other people. So they know that they're loved, right? They know that they are loved, and they can avoid some of the damage that sin brings. So simply put, the goal for gospel restoration is that they experience the gospel, that they experience the restoration that Christ has purchased for us. They experience real forgiveness, which is not the same as pretending it never happened. Real forgiveness, where somebody looks at you and says, because of what scripture teaches us, because of the work of Christ, as your brother in Christ, standing on the truth of the word of God, I I hear your repentance. I hear your confession. 
and you are forgiven and I forgive you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Only God can forgive. We can look at scripture and see that he does this, but we need people to experience this real forgiveness. They experience God's love as well through his people. Um, This is how I think it's a beautiful thing that they don't experience some superficial kind of love that glosses over real offenses. We are not going to settle for fake love or for two-faced love, but real, spirit-empowered love. And so that should be good news for all of us. I realize this message has the potential to be a little scary to hear, but this is a good thing. It's not easy. I get it, submitting to real accountability. But personally, I'm comforted. I'm encouraged to know that you guys aren't going to let me fall into sin and then just abandon me. You're not going to leave me for dead. I know my small group is not going to settle for just talking behind my back or leaving me for dead. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that's committed for fighting for me, fighting for my heart, fighting for my family when I fall into sin. And so I know that I'm loved here. I know that I'm loved here enough for someone to engage and lead me in a path of gospel restoration if I were caught in sin. I know I won't be treated like an outcast here, that you guys are going to build me back up. And so this isn't some theoretical thing that we're talking about. This is real. And and to be honest, as a pastor, I've been called into this. I've been invited into the messiness of life and not at a distance either. Uh, I've seen sin destroy marriages. I've seen it destroy relationships. Working with teenagers over the years, I've seen it redirect lives in ways that are just simply tragic. I've seen addiction tear down lives. I've seen it break hearts, and it really is heartbreaking for everyone to watch and to experience. And we are a church that is committed to restoration. Now, it is easier to look away. It's easier for some to go on the attack, but we are not going to hide and we're not going to shoot our wounded. We are a family. And when this stuff hits, we aren't going to abandon you and we're sure not going to finish you off. We're going to engage in the biblical process of gospel restoration. So we understand that this is a piece of what we are called to. So gospel restoration is not easy. In fact, it is a little dangerous, even for those who take part in it. And it's difficult work that should be done in step with the Holy Spirit, walking and the power of the Holy Spirit, as Galatians has laid out for us thus far. So how are we going to work this part out? Well, the second thing we need to be reminded of is that gospel restoration requires correction. And not just, not just being corrected, but correction that leads to repentance. Uh, so how we handle, this is the issue here, how we handle or choose not to handle sin amongst the family of God is something that God takes very, very seriously. And this text is talking about someone who is caught in sin. And when there is sin that has to be dealt with, how do we actually deal with that? How do we, how do we go about it? And so I came up with three little words that I think will help us remember a pattern. And I think it hopefully will not be too confusing, but go slow go solo, and go so low, okay? So go slow, go solo, and go so low. So let me explain what I mean by that. The first thing is go slow. Uh, Go slow enough to go prayerfully. We want to make sure that we stop to pray and we ask God if we need to engage uh, in this correction. And so Proverbs 19.11 says something I think is helpful right here. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger, 
and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Now, this is the truth. Sometimes it is better to overlook some of the small stuff. We are not called to walk around like private investigators. That's not what we're called to do. But we should be asking God to reveal if we need to to let some things go or if we need to have a conversation. And so we do this prayerfully and step with the Holy Spirit because sometimes it is better to overlook things. But when there is sin that does need to be dealt with, when there's a very serious issue, we need to step in. And sometimes even for small things, and this is why it's so important to pray that we have God's leadership in our life. But when we do, again, we're talking about going slow. You need to go in seeking to understand. Don't rush in thinking you know the whole story. (laughs) Don't rush in to satisfy your own personal need to just get something off your chest so you can sleep at night. Remember, this isn't about how you feel. This is about gospel restoration. So start with questions, all right? And listen to their words. Listen to their heart. And remember that the objective here is not to prove how many faults they have. And it's certainly not to make them just feel terrible for no other reason. Uh, It's to help one another mature in our relationships with Jesus. And so the goal isn't to win an argument, uh, but to restore peace in the same way Jesus restored peace between us and the Father. As I was studying this out, I was uh, reading a bit of uh, Matt Chandler's book, Recovering Redemption. I'll read you this quote. Uh, It speaks to this whole idea of speaking the truth in love, which is not easy. After we've prayed, after we've done our best to understand and we've listened, uh, then we're called to speak the truth in love. And so he said it this way. He said, the goal is not to build an airtight case against them or to exert some kind of superior spiritual control over them, but to primarily exhort them towards joy and harmony in their faith. It's not about being right or catching them red-handed or throwing the net of aha justice around their necks, but rather a proactive love that says, this is great, I'm not willing for you to live at the mercy of things that are devilishly designed to destroy you. I love that. We're not willing to let you fall into the hands of the enemy and be destroyed through some of the schemes that he's devised for you. That's the heart. So we go speaking the truth in love, not to catch them red-handed or, or to just shame them, but we go because we care too much to stay out of it. So we go slow when we get into that, and we do eventually speak the truth in love. And so uh, the second thing is go slow, then go solo. And so when we go solo... This is what we're talking about. Matthew 18, uh, verse 15 through 17, Jesus is speaking and he gives us this instruction. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. That's rough right there. Like some of you guys have never done that before. You should hear the words of our Savior. If a brother sins against you, go tell them his fault. Like engage, all right? This is between you and him alone. You don't post on Twitter and Facebook first, you go to them alone, all right? And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." Now, this is dealing with a specific offense, but I think the principle is good uh, with sin in general in another person's life. We are called to walk in obedience with the Lord, and so it's important that 
uh, we as one another encourage each other to do that. And so when there's been an offense, when something's happening between you and them, it's best to go solo. You don't go public with something when you haven't had the opportunity to go solo. That's not what you do. So you go alone. And then if, the, if that appeal isn't enough, then you can find one or two other uh, godly people to go with you. Uh, and if even that is not enough, that's when you can go to church leaders. And that's where we can step in and help create an environment where restoration can actually happen. So go solo first. That's really good. A great reminder uh, to guard this person's heart, even as we're engaging in gospel correction. So go slow, go solo, and go so low. All right? Hopefully this makes sense. We're going in humility. We're walking in humility in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is so important because we remember that we are recipients ourselves of the gospel. And so we go in the humility knowing that we too have been forgiven of many offenses. That humility leads us to go gently, where we're able to step into someone's life in a spirit of gentleness. This is exactly what Galatians 6 tells us to do. We go and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now, I want to say something for a second, because I hear people say all the time, and and sometimes even in this context, where they say, you know what, I'm just going to be brutally honest. Can I speak something? I I just don't think that's ever the right attitude for us as Christians. I know that's a figure of speech, and it means something different maybe when you say it. But think about what we're saying. I'm going to be brutally honest. I think what you're actually saying is, I'm about to say whatever I feel like, with no regard for how it might make you feel, uh, because I'll feel better if I do. And, and I really don't think that that's what we're called to. We're not more spiritual if we're brutal in our honesty. In fact, I think uh, to some it may feel better to just let it fly. But Scripture calls us to gospel restoration in a spirit of gentleness and brutality. And so, not brutality, excuse me, <laughs> definitely not. So we begin these 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 interactions with the end in mind. We're, we're trying to restore. We're not trying to destroy. This is so important. So we do speak the truth in love. When I say don't be brutally honest, I'm saying be lovingly honest. And let's go about this in a way. Let's be humble. Let's be gentle. And let's speak the truth in love. So be honest. Be forthcoming. Speak the truth in love. Jesus did not say, speak the, tr- the truth brutally, okay? We speak it in love. Because correction, honestly, is tough to hear, and it's also tough to give. And so, since it's not easy, we need to give both sides some grace, the one correcting and the one being corrected. And we need grace, because ultimately, this is a good thing. Correction is a gift when it's given gently under the power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs even points out that, you know, it's a good thing, even to feel like it's a wound from a friend is good because he's trying to to help you. And correction, oddly enough, though, never feels like a gift in the moment. And when a person is being corrected, it doesn't always feel like a gift, right? But it eventually comes, especially for those who are mature and desiring to walk with Christ. And so uh, we give grace to the one being corrected, knowing that their initial reaction may not be uh, their best moment, but they will eventually realize that they are being held. So give grace and give grace to the one doing the correcting when you're the one being corrected because it's so crucial that we understand that we ourselves uh, aren't going to always go about things in the perfect way. And so give grace on both sides. So the first thing is that we're called to this and, and we're certainly called to 
uh, be a part of gospel restoration. And when we do it, we, we know that correction is involved. And, and the third thing is this, that gospel restoration is dangerous. The process of restoration can actually expose us to extra temptation. Now, a lot of this passage in Galatians chapter 6 deals with this and warns of the danger here. It says, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. So the process of restoration needs to be a family effort. And so the, the classic example here is that, you know, we, uh, when we're going to go climbing or do something dangerous, we put a harness on. And so you want to tie yourself to a few other brothers or sisters in Christ before you attempt to do something like this. Before you go jumping off a cliff and uh, rappelling down to rescue someone, understand that you need to be tethered to some people that you trust, some people that are going to stand with you. And so there are some serious dangers. So what are those dangers? And we know that the process of restoration, as this passage warns us, can tempt us to fall into extra temptation. One of those is the temptation to give in to pride. But we can't give in to pride uh, because we remember our dependence on the Holy Spirit who has uh, done so much for us. He is the only hope that we have. And so we don't give in to prideful comparisons because we honestly know, and the scripture reminds us, that we will stand on our own work. Now, this is really important that we get this because once we face the Lord, our sins will be, we know that, that we will desperately need Jesus. And so we remember that we can really only boast in the cross of Jesus, which is what Paul gets to a little bit later in this chapter. But we stay humble and don't compare ourselves to others. That's where this pride comes from. Instead, we are compared to God's holiness. And in that, we don't think we're something when we're actually nothing compared to his holiness. We need Jesus. And so we boast in the cross and not ourselves. This keeps us from giving into pride. The second thing that we're in danger of, the temptation here, is this process of restoration can expose us to extra temptation, expose you to things that might be an extra temptation to you. Now, the classic example is addiction. You know, if you've ever faced that, going to help someone uh, recover from that very same addiction needs to be done very, very carefully. And so you may be exposed to some extra temptation in your life, both with pride and in the process of working through things. So it is a dangerous thing. But we do it because of this fourth thing, that gospel restoration is driven by love. It has to be. So Paul challenges us in this passage to bear one another's burdens. We help one another grow in grace and experience the joy of living out our faith. This is this progressive thing. We also know this, that we are free and that we are forgiven children of God. And God has given us this blessing of walking together, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we really want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church where the grace of God is not just talked about, but the grace of God is experienced. And so because we love one another, we're not going to settle for fake love, for two-faced love, for pity even. Instead, we've been called to fight for one another's hearts. We've been called to love one another. And so we're going to bear one another's burdens, as this passage calls us to, and we're going to gently restore those who have been wounded. And we're going to do this together. And because it's driven out of love, it's not harsh. It's loving. And so we get this, that the gospel restoration is driven by love. And that's an important thing for you to remember when it's your time in this. When, when I'm facing uh, the need for correction and need a brother in Christ to, to restore 
me. Like, here's the deal. Like, it doesn't feel like it's, it's fun. It's not my favorite thing. But when I know that that brother loves me, I'm able to receive that. And in the same way, I'm able to find the courage to engage in helping another brother when I know that it's driven by love. So crucial. So finally, the fifth thing is this, is that we're, we just want to remind ourselves that, and, and honestly, Paul is reminding us that gospel restoration, we're not just called to, it is worth it. We've got to be taking part in this. And here's why, because it yields a harvest of joy, God-honoring living as well. And so we see obedience, and, and this improves our testimony to the world, and it glorifies God. It's a, a loving part of God's plan for our growth and maturity. It's so worth it. Now, you need to know this. We are a covenant community, all right? And and we do this. We all need people to step out into our life and hold up a stop sign when we're going the wrong direction. We need correction and restoration on a regular basis. And so around here, we have these little conversations and uh, regularly. Sometimes they take like five minutes over a cup of coffee, and usually they end with a hard swallow an apology, and a big thank you and a hug because we understand that, that this brother or sister is trying to help. And in the end, uh, we do it because we trust that Scripture is true and we do what God has told us to do. And we are finding, and we have found, that it works exactly the way that Jesus said it would. Instead of losing a brother, we actually gain a brother. And so, this is, to be fair, sometimes we may miss the mark on the execution of this, and maybe in some detail there's some things we could do better, but we give grace both ways. So you might be sitting there thinking, man, this is harsh. And it's, it's not harsh because it is driven by love. See, Christians who are seeking to walk in the Spirit don't mind helping or being helped. And it might come as a shock initially when somebody confronts you with, this kind of sincerity, but it doesn't take long to realize that you really are being helped. So I should say this, well, what happens when a conversation ends a little differently? When they come to us and they're like, you know what, you need to back off. I'm going to live my life the way that I want to. This is none of your business. Uh, get out of my life. Well, this is tricky here, but if it's a constant attitude and there's a pattern, then we, again, trust Scripture uh, to do what it's supposed to do and to obey God so that His Spirit will be at work. Uh, it's important that we understand that it's time for us to break fellowship in certain ways with that person. It doesn't mean we give up on them. It doesn't mean that we shoot our wounded. That's not what we're saying. But we understand that there's a, a change in our relationship with someone who is uh, intentionally going to continue walking in rebellion against God. So here's what we know. If you have Christ in you, you will eventually appreciate correction. And if correction only brings out rage and rebellion, then that individual, I think it's probably fair to say, after a period of time where this has been consistent, that it's probably true that they're not a born-again believer. And this is where we need to begin taking the gospel to them. And so our relationship with them changes in that, you know, we want to restore fellowship with a brother in Christ to thinking, We need to step out and share the gospel of Jesus with them so that they can come to faith in Jesus, be forgiven of their sin and have Christ in them. And so uh, this is done out of love. And so you might look at it and say, wow, this is a difficult kind of situation to be in. This is tough, you know. Well, uh, (laughs) some would even say this is a terrible way to grow a church. Well, it's really not. It's actually an amazing thing because we all grow 
and we actually end up gaining a brother. It intensifies and increases our relationship with each other, and it's good for all of us, and it's actually good for growth because it's good because we are being obedient to the Lord, and, and real church growth comes from God doing it, and that's what we want to by growing in grace and growing in dependence on Him. So gospel restoration, completely worth it. So you remember back when I was talking about the Cathedral of Notre Dame, and as it turns out, the heavy, huge stones that this, thing's, uh, this thing was built with were only charred on the outside, and that the foundation was never shaken, and the bones were unmoved of this building. Now, there was some real damage, and you saw that. There's absolutely severe damage, but it can be repaired. Now, it's been a year since this happened, and a billion dollars was donated by lots of different people, and they're working to restore it to its former beauty. Hundreds of workers have been working uh, to rebuild the church. But, you know, it's not going to be finished this year. And, in fact, it's not going to be finished next year. At best, they're hoping that it might be open for the 2024 Paris Olympics. You know, in the very same way, we as Christians, our lives are built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Our foundation is Him. Jesus is our unshakable, unmovable foundation. The gospel can't be moved. God never changes. And we understand what He says is true is true and this whole situation and this illustration reminds me of something that Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. And the people that heard him say this, they were looking at the temple and they said, well, this thing took 46 years to build. Now, how are you going to raise it again in just three days? But the temple Jesus was speaking of was actually his body. And we get this, it says, after he raised from the dead, his disciples recalled this conversation. And they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken because Jesus was referring to his body, not the building of the temple. He said, you can destroy this. And we just went through Easter, so we know what happens here. But in three days, it will be rebuilt. And Jesus, here's what he did. He took all of our sin in his body, and it was destroyed in a sense. And the damage was real. But in just three days, Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered every curse and death. He defeated it. And he said that he's going to restore this fallen world and our fallen lives. And he shows us this picture in Revelation 21 that I think is so beautiful. It says in verse four that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and we find him seated on the throne in revelation 21 and we hear him say these incredible words behold i am making all things new that's what jesus is all about the old will be gone max lucato said it this way he said the old will be gone Gone with the hospital waiting rooms, gone with cancer, God will lay hold of every atom, every emotion, insect, animal, and galaxy, and he will reclaim every diseased body and afflicted mind. I'm making all things new. This is God's promise. And because God's promises are unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. 
You know, God is a God of restoration. And through the gospel, your life can be restored. Now, you might be personally standing right now in a heap of smoldering rubble, looking through the charred reminders of the former glory of your life. You may be bracing for the aftershocks of the consequences of some sin that took hold in your life. You might be feeling like the sun will never shine again, like it's time for you to give up, like your life is forfeit. You may be ready to quit. And here's what I want to tell you. Jesus rose from the dead, and he can restore your life as well. And some things, you need to hear this, some things will never go back to the way that they were. And it's okay to grieve those very real losses. Sin always comes with a bit of destruction, but you can start fresh. This is a cool thing. Jesus said he's making all things new. He didn't say I'm just going to make it the way it used to be. He says he's doing a new thing in us. He makes all things new. You need to hear this. Your life is not over. God is a God of restoration. And so even without knowing the specifics of your situation, I can tell you with confidence that our God can restore and make things new in your life because he is a God of restoration. And so what does this mean for us? It means that he uses us to do this work, that he uses the church for this mission of gospel restoration. So God has called us to gospel restoration. It does require correction that leads to genuine repentance. And that process might be a little dangerous, but it's worth it when it's driven by spirit-empowered gospel love and when we are empowered through him. And so we just pray that the, the God of restoration will restore us when we fall and that he may give us grace to, to yield to correction when we need it, that we might be faithful to this ministry of gospel restoration when we're called to it for God's glory and the joy of his people. We're called to this. It's not easy, but it's totally worth it because God is a God of restoration. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be restored into right fellowship with you. Each of us had gone our own way. We had sinned against you. We had, we had let sin run rampant in our lives. But even while we were still sinners, you died for us. And you took on the destruction that we deserve so that you might give us the restoration that we don't deserve. And you've brought us into a life full of, of grace and invited us into joyful relationship with you and with one another. And so, God, we pray that we wouldn't settle for anything superficial, that you would give us the courage to both enter into helping one another and being helped, and that your spirit would drive that inner life, that you would guard us against any temptation that goes along with that. But God, I pray for maybe there's one listening right now that does not have a relationship with you, and they're being reminded that God is a God who can restore. I pray that they would place their faith in you, that they would repent of their sin and believe on you, Lord Jesus, for salvation. Thank you for how you've taught us this morning. Help us to apply it this week as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. 
There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.